This is 40K Today. 40K News so impressive, in its stat line, under wounds, it says no. Hello and welcome to a special Best of 40K Today. We are your daily dose of 40K News and we feature content creators from across the globe. We love 40K and know you do too. Today we bring you a selection of our favorite interviews from this week. We have to say a massive thanks to our friends at Frontline Gaming for having us in on a Saturday. If you like what you hear, give us a listen during the week at 40ktoday.com or you can find us via your favorite podcast player. I'm your host, John Damaris, and today on the program, we talk to Dan Sammons about Salamanders in the new edition. This week's Woman in Warhammer loves all things chaos. Salty John gets super salty about win at all cost players, and we get a minute update from the Falcon. In this week's Faction Focus, winner of the Flying Monkey Major, Dan Salmon, swings by to talk about some of the best things Salamanders bring to the table in 9th edition. All right, everyone, welcome back. And today we're going to talk with Dan Sammons, who recently won the first major in ninth edition, I think, or one of the first anyway, the Flying Monkey. And uh, Dan won with Salamanders. So he's going to tell us in our faction folks today what's great about the Sallies. So, Dan, take it away. So just a few things about the Salamanders. Probably one of the best things about them is they have some of the best stratagems that Space Marines have access to. Uh, You have an on-demand plus one to wound. Uh, their flamers can do mortal wounds. You can uh, count as stationary for your your uh, heavy weapons. So when your grav devs come in, you can use that stratagem to count as stationary, get plus one to wound on them, and use the grav amp. So they just are the best grav devs that Space Marines have access to. Count as stationary also works really good on aggressors. So. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, so the next, yeah, they've got with the new uh, strategic reserves. And if you do successors like I did and give them plus uh, three inches of their range, range and have 11 inch flamers coming on from the side of the board with some uh, aggressors and being able to count as not moving and then double shooting them is incredibly strong and it's a lot of fun because you get to roll a ton of dice and just auto hitting with plus one to wound for the uh, super doctrine on turns two and turn three for all their flamer and melt weapons is is uh, turns their flamers into a kind of a universal tool for killing tanks or killing infantry Let's talk about that for a second. So you played something really unique. You played a three-man flamer aggressor unit and a sergeant with a master-crafted uh, flamer, I guess. I don't know what it was, like a boltstorm flamer or something. Uh, not a boltstorm, but a flamestorm gauntlet or something. I don't remember. Um, but why don't you go through the math on how much damage that thing does? Yeah, so the if it's one CP for a strat, and you can give a give a sergeant a master-crafted weapon. I think the, the Salamander version is called Master Artisans, actually. So you uh, pop that on your guy, your uh, aggressor sergeant, uh, bring him on from strategic reserves. Let's uh, let's say there's a, a toughness seven three-up save tank there. Uh, on average, so depending on, it really comes down to what you need, but if you want to do maximum efficiency, you can spend the CP to count as a stationary so you can shoot twice. And then you can spend two CP to maximize the shots. So that single guy will put out 24 uh, strength four AP one with plus one to wound two damage shots, which when you run the math on it uh, is enough to one shot, you know, a, a vehicle that's T seven, 12 wounds uh, with a three up save. And then the other two guys in his squad can shoot at another, another vehicle and do the same. So, and that unit is 120 points. So the, yeah. the, that guy for me over the weekend somewhere in the vicinity and not including his friends uh, with him, but that single guy with, uh, you know, help from some stratagems and stuff 
probably was responsible for killing about uh, 1,500 points of, of uh, my opponent's armies throughout <laughs> the six games. So Yeah, basically that 120-point unit, I mean, that's what it does to vehicles, and it just absolutely obliterates troops, right? So, you know, yep. it's just sort of six of one, half a dozen of the other. You just kill whatever you want, which is yep. not a bad thing, especially for, like, such a small footprint three-man unit, you know, like, it's well, pretty cool. And- you know, before the tournament, we were kind of wondering, is anyone going to show up with the hordes and, and, and go that, that way with the meta? But, you know, at least taking that, this type of Salamander's army, I just said, well, if, if somebody shows up with hordes, I have, <laughs> I have the answer. Or if, if somebody shows up with a vehicle spam, I've got that answer, too. It's just the same thing. So Yeah, I think another fun part about Salamanders is because we talked about that Master Artisan reroll, and then they get the plus one to wound with Melta, they have the best Eradicators, which are already super efficient, right? Yep, coming on and, and getting the shoot twice. So the way Master Artisans works, you get to shoot their, their first three shots and get a reroll hit and a reroll wound. And then you shoot again, and it's every time they shoot, you can trigger Master Artisan. So they shoot the second three shots and get a reroll hit and reroll wound. And yes, the plus one to wound. So, I mean, there's most things I shot at weren't toughness eight. So against toughness seven stuff, stuff you, you hit on threes with a reroll, and then you wound on twos with a reroll at AP five, I think, on turn two and turn three. So it's it's extremely brutal and extremely effective at putting the damage on your opponents. Uh, we like to say in the business, that'll leave a mark, right? <laughs> so, oh, yes. So. Yeah, especially if you're in, if you're in melter range, right? Rerolling those damage rolls. So Yeah. And uh, it, the, 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 it's actually, so the long range marksman being upset to a 13 and a half inches. So it helps it a little bit and, and does come into play occasionally where, you, where you're getting zoned out a little bit. Still still get the melters in there. Okay, so before I let you go, what tip would you give people for playing against Salamanders? Because I think we're going to see some of them out there. So, you know, defensively, Salamanders don't really have too much. Uh, They can be a little hard to kill against uh, one-damage weapons. But multi-damage or higher AP things, they are, for all intents and purposes, they are just normal Marines walking around without any special protection. So they, while they can hit like a freight train, they don't they don't take a punch that well. So, you know, this is, uh, if you have the ability to screen out, you know, your flanks and keep their strategic reserves from getting into your juicy center or getting onto things they want to get on, it will go a long way. And, and then as much as it pains, we say, you know, there is a, the, like the flamer aggressors can only threat, um, 17 inches from the board edge. So if you're 17.1 inches away, just stand there and wave at them as they come on and do nothing. So there's, there's ways to play and it, it, uh, you know, it might slow you down and might limit you from getting some early points, but you know, do what you can to stop them from getting points. And it's, it, it'll play out, you know, well for you in the long run, probably. Yeah. It sounds like you need to play with uh, blunting their beta strike in mind. And I think it'll help yep. you in the game. still going to be a tough matchup because they're very efficient and they are space Marines, which are really good right yep. now. So <laughs> yeah. Agreed. So All that's, right. That's, thanks. That's no problem. Yeah, I was going to say thanks very much. I think those are great tips, and uh, I'm sure we'll see you at the top of the podium in several more tournaments this year. Yep, sounds good. Say it with me, everyone. Flamers and Meltas, oh my. One of our favorite segments every week is our Woman in Warhammer, where we feature women who are enjoying the hobby. This week, Kaylee stops by to tell us all about her love for all things Nurgly. Is that a word? I'm pretty sure Nurgly's a word. I'm here for another Women in Warhammer feature, and I'm here with Kaylee. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. 
And I found you on Instagram. And then when I found out that you also play in ITC tournaments, I was like, ah, we have to get her on the show. (laughs) So we always sort of start off with the same question. So how did you get started in the hobby? Uh, I started through my boyfriend. Uh, I had no idea about the hobby beforehand and we had been dating for a couple weeks and he showed me his corner and I was just completely astonished and amazed and also inspired. Um, For our first couple years of dating, I kind of let him have his thing and uh, I didn't want to intrude in it and I didn't want to like change it for him so I just kind of let it be but every time we moved into a new apartment I made sure that that was his hobby space and then a couple years later he showed me a seventh edition and Mm -hmm. I was we played a couple games and I wasn't quite uh convinced on it the mechanics of the game was a little weird and it was just chaos space marine so I wasn't emotionally connected to it Mm -hmm. fast forward a couple years and Uh, He was working in his hobby room and I come across and he's working on some nerglings. And I was like, oh, those are super cute. What are they? And he's like, it's nerglings. And uh, he's like, do you want to paint a couple? I was like, sure. And I was like, what is this for? And he's like, it's for Warhammer. And I was like, wait, they're not all space marines at once? (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, no, this is for the faction Nurgle. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. And I painted a couple. And from there, it it blossomed into the love for Nurgle. And I I loved it ever since. Uh, I love that you just used the word blossomed for Nurgle <laughs> because of Nurgle's garden. Oh, I love it. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we know that you like Nurgle. Um mm-hmm. Is there anything in particular about the faction, either the way that it plays or the lore, anything like what really makes you uh, gravitated towards Nurgle? A hundred percent everything about it. I, I enjoyed the fact that they're in the grim, dark future. There could still be creatures with a smile on their face. And <laughs> more and more, my boyfriend was telling me the lore and the stories of Nurgle between the cycle of life and death and the garden and Mortarian's very sad story. And I just empathized with it. And I just, this was my faction for me. It, oh, I, I embodied that. Nurgle. Uh, I I love it when I I hear about people who just like love their faction. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so you've played a few games in ninth. Mm-hmm. Um, how have you liked the new edition? I love it. It's I didn't realize I was building a ninth edition army in eighth edition. <laughs> I feel that way too, actually. Mm-hmm. Strangely enough, yeah. What factions? have you played against in ninth have you found that there's any like boogeyman lists uh i just played ravenguard and i just lost to them and that was very scary but that was just a lot of shots a lot i i played quite poorly um i was quite nervous he is from europe and he's played in a lot of tournaments so i think that uh my nerves caught up to me with that but um I've played Sisters, I've played Necrons, and I've played uh, Alpha Legion. I've also played Corn. And uh, since Ninth is more objective secured um, and the points are 
more on holding objectives. It's been really great with Nurgle demons because they like to be resilient. So they like to stay on the table. Yeah, and my army is the complete opposite. I have no <laughs> resiliency whatsoever. So I've, I'm, I'm tweaking my list, but I have an idea of where I want to go with that. It's a constant tweak system. You got to like fine tune it. Like uh, yeah. I'm constantly back to the drawing board. Like, okay, that didn't quite work there. So I'll change it a little bit up there. My boyfriend keeps telling me to like, don't change your army list, but I kind of want to and just play around, tweak it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, uh, my coach is also like that, like play the same list, but make minor tweaks mm-hmm, to it right. along the way. Um, so in general, like the core, I'll have like 1500 points that stay the same. And then mm-hmm. I'll sort of swap things out in that like last 500 points to kind of see where I want to go with it. Mm-hmm. So, so you're sort of still playing the same list. It's just, yeah. you know, slight differences. Mm-hmm. And since Engine Wars came out uh, mm-hmm. and we've been, I've been playing with Exalted Greater Demon, um, the great and clean ones, they've been mm-hmm. so much fun, randomly rolling and then like, oh, I get a disgusting resilience of four or they're tough eight. Oh. It's like, okay, oh. they're monsters now. Okay, sweet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> they're essentially uh. knights. I guess on the table, so that's fun. Yeah. So the ITC season is a little bit of a wash this year, right? <laughs> Do you have any plans of like doing any big events or anything like that? Uh, considering where I live, there's nothing going on. Uh, so probably for the rest of the season, not. But lots of practice, lots of playing with people, honing my skills, and then definitely for next season, if uh, especially with the COVID restrictions get a little bit lifted and a lot more comfortable, I would love to travel the country and play in other majors around. Well, there probably won't be majors, but at least other tournaments. Yeah. I know we were talking about meeting up at Wet Coast, and I just wasn't going to make it to that one, and then they canceled it anyway, but maybe next year. I hope so. Yeah, maybe next year. Anyway, it's been so great having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. That was Kaylee, and it sounds like she's having a lot of fun. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. Welcome back. Salty John and I sit down for a good old rant session about the win-at-all-cost players and how we think everyone should approach the game. All right, 40K Today fans, we have a little special treat today. We've got Salty John back on the show where he actually might be a little bit salty, which I'm excited for. Uh, John, <laughs> welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. I, I, I'm very happy to have you back. So you recently wrote an article, and I'm assuming it went up on Frontline Gaming, about uh, rules interactions and sort of like how you should approach the game. Do you want to talk a little bit about what the premise of the article was, and then we'll get into it? Yeah, sure. So the basic premise was the idea that like players – have a certain amount of responsibility for how they play the game. 
Like if you were somebody who plays the game consistently in the gray area of the rules, attempting to use that to your advantage, that's on you. Um, and that players also have like responsibility for making sure that the game is being played with fidelity. Uh, it's not all just, well, this tournament organizer or this judge said whatever. Like a lot of it is if you are actively going into a situation hoping to use a specific rules interaction in a way that you know is not necessarily accurate, you have to own that. Like that's who you are. That's how you're choosing to play. And we as a community should not encourage that type of behavior when it comes to competitive 40K. That was it. Um, and I posted it and then I got a bit of traction on a couple of places. And some people were really upset that like the, about the idea of um, it being on the player and not the judges necessarily oh, no, to curb that type of behavior. It's 100% on the player. And let me explain why. We're playing a miniatures game. And what I mean by that specifically is this. It requires a social contract to keep the game clean. It is so easy to bump models. It is so easy to move models, mismeasure. I mean, there is a million and one ways where you could do microaggressive cheating if you wanted to and you were that guy. You can get away with it. You 100% do. And there's people that do because all they care about is winning, right? That definitely happened. Yep. Now, the good news is the players at the top level of the game, your Nick Nanavadis, you know, the people like that, they will absolutely shut that down. <laughs> Richard Siegler said they don't want any they don't want any part of that. They want to beat you in what I would call a beautiful game, right? They want to beat you because mm -hmm. their strategy, their tactics were better than your strategy and your tactics. They don't want they don't want to win because they had better dice. They don't want to win because, you know, they they found some loophole in the rules and caught you off guard that you had no idea that that's how that worked. They want to beat you in the game, right? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Yeah, it makes absolute sense. There was somebody who made a comment somewhere about um, one time they watched a game Richard Siegler was playing at a tournament that was being streamed, and he gave so many like um, takebacks to his opponent that it was almost like watching Richard Siegler play himself. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That like that that's the kind of way he plays, and that's the way you like the game shouldn't be gotcha moments, which we've kind of gotten away from, thankfully, but it also shouldn't be like, I'm going to go into this event with this idea in mind that I'm going to bid once I'm there to be allowed to do this thing. Yeah. I mean, think about it, right? Do you want to be Belichick? Are you Bill Belichick? Are you going to do everything you can in, <laughs> under your power to win? We don't get paid millions of dollars. We don't get paid hundreds of dollars to win this game. So like some people don't even get paid tens of dollars. <laughs> that's that's the point. There's no money in it. So it really becomes like, sure, there's some accolade, right? And there's some F list notoriety, I guess. But dude, mm -hmm. if you're if you're playing the game for those reasons, you're doing it for the wrong reasons, man. The game is a it's the game is actually encapsulated by an amazing community that you get to engage with full of sweet, sweet people. And that's, that's what it should be about. You want to go compete and win? I'm all for it. Like I like to compete too. Don't get me wrong. But if you're, if you're trying to win just by, you know, being that guy uh, and you might think, Oh, I'm not being that guy. I'm just playing by the letter of the law. Well, no, you're trying to gain an advantage by doing something that you know, in your heart of hearts is not intended or probably not intended. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I definitely see where some people are coming from in terms of like raw versus rules is intended because there are times where, and it's a subjective thing, like there are times where you look at something, you're like, well, that is the rule as is written, so that's the way it's supposed to be. There's other times where you look at the rule as written and you know that's not necessarily what's intended. So 
I understand people are like, you have to play raw. You have to play raw. And there are times as a judge where I'm like, well, we go with what it says. But that's because it makes common sense for it to be played the way it's stated. There are times where you read something in an interaction or somebody has, you know, eight different FAQs open because they're trying to weave their thread of this is legal because of all these things. And you're looking at it and you're going, I understand the writing, but it feels like it's incorrect based on the other rules and the way they work. Like the intention is clearly not for you to be able to do this weird interaction. And the fact that you have to pull out eight different FAQs to prove your point, just the, the idea that we're talking about proving point means that there's something inherently against the spirit of the game that you're trying to pull. And the spirit of the game should be what drives players in general. And like like you're saying, we're talking about a game. And you're supposed to be for fun. It's supposed to be an interaction. Um, it's something I do with my buddies. And even if you're playing it competitively, you shouldn't be going against the spirit of the game just to try to win the game. Like, yes, the game is about winning, but winning at all costs in terms of win at all costs in terms of cheating or in terms of even bending the rules to your favor, it's just not where we should be at as a community. I agree 100%. Thank you so much for writing the article. Sorry if I got a little salty, but it's one of my hot button <laughs> issues. I, 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 the, the thing is, for me, and this is you know just, just one man's opinion, but there is a social contract when you're playing a miniatures game because to keep the game state clean, like it requires both players and you got to help, help each other out to keep, to make the game a good game. And if one person isn't a good actor in that, it's, it becomes, it becomes a crap show in a hurry. So, and which is why by and large, 99% of the people you play will be a good guy and make the game a good game. In my opinion. Yeah, for sure. I agree that the vast majority of people aren't bad actors in this. There is somebody who legitimately just wants to play a good game with you. And I think that there's a very vocal minority of people who want to be allowed to pick apart these things and live in this gray area. And there's an even smaller group of people who then actively go out and like try to use these things and cause a bad time for people. And it's just not okay to be that kind of a person who's going to cause bad games for people just because you are so insistent on winning that you're going to ruin everybody's good time with your weird rules interaction. All right, John, I think that's well said. Thanks for your time. You're welcome. I want to take a second to stress to everyone that the community is filled with amazing people. Come on out to an event and hang out once COVID is done and see for yourself. I promise you, those win-at-all-cost players, they're very few and far between. The ninth edition meta is very young and just starting to bud. Peter the Falcon stops by to give us a rundown on how the stats are starting to shape up. Kaka! I've always wanted to do that. Oh, man. <laughs> Welcome, Peter the Falcon, back to 40K Today. It's been too long, buddy. We've missed you so much. Aw, uh, well, thanks. I've missed you guys, particularly you. You're probably the second most handsome person in 40K. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about some 40K. So we've now had <clears throat> a few events, enough events to where you might see some trends. I mean, nothing we can count on for sure because the you know the statistical pool is not deep no but. not at all but like we, we're starting to see some trends like you said yeah um there have been um what three gts a major now 
multiple almost GTs, five round events that, um, you know, due to COVID restrictions are playing at 20 to 25 players. Um, and there've been a lot of RTTs. We've even had uh, TTS results, uh, tabletop simulator. Um, so like we've got enough data if, if you want to dig into it that you can start to make some like early conclusions on where the meta currently is. Um, but as you kind of uh, alluded to, it's still early and it can change very abruptly because there's so few games. It's hard to know when the meta is actually settled. Oh, people are learning how to play ninth edition too. Exactly. <laughs> so that's big. That's real big. There, there's a lot of uh, what we'll call it undiscovered country where things that are good now might not be good in the meta three months from now because people have figured out ninth edition. Exactly. Right? And it's something that's very unique now um, because with eighth edition, we were, and without COVID, we had, you know, eight GTs a week. Um, so it was like the meta adjusted so fast. It only took maybe two weeks tops after a new book or an FAQ came out before you could kind of see like, oh, the meta's already kind of resolved itself again um, with the the occasional exception. Now, um, like every week we're seeing in these very small events, um, you know, something new pop up that's a little exciting. You know, maybe there's some hope for certain things. It's it's really, I like it. I think it's great. I, I There's a part of me that hates it because I love the, having the statistics and being able to say, you know, here's the firm results, but I also enjoy not knowing. I love going into games like that I'm watching now and being like, I don't know if these guys are going to win or not. Like, um, I think this army is pretty bad right now. And then they surprise me. And I love that. Yeah, actually, I love that, too. It kind of reminds me back in the day when I first started playing Magic the Gathering. It was in 1993 mm -hmm. and there was no Internet, really. I mean, the Internet existed, but it was like, I mean, it took about, not, you know, 45 minutes to download a, a JPEG. So, yeah. right. But one of the great things was in that time period, nobody knew anything. So it was this dis the discovery was playing the game um, yep. as opposed to doing the research online. And there's something that's really, really fun about that. And this isn't quite that. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there is still information online. It gets disseminated very quickly. But because of COVID, the pace at which it's discovered has been slowed down is what I think you were alluding to. Yeah, dramatically. It makes, yeah. It makes the exploration more fun for the rest of us because we don't just look at it online. We actually get to participate in it and draw our own conclusions and, and sort of enjoy that journey. So I'm super excited about that. Yep. No, it's great. I love, I love it. I love seeing new things pop up. Um, it's, there's uh, so many more people that I'm, uh, you know, leaning on and listening to than I would have done um, near the end of eighth when, you know, you could, you could rely on certain people to know where things were headed. Um, now, you know, Joe Schmo comes out with a list and you have to say, you know, well, maybe that is how you're supposed to play ninth edition now because no one maybe really knows yet. So, okay. Well, so that being said, what are you seeing? What is the data saying? I've got to think that salamanders have to be up there pretty, pretty good because I've seen results for the yeah. yeah. so, so salamanders are definitely in the, like the, the top echelon. Um, even if you just go from a, a T whip or a, um, you know, like a, a top level win perspective, um, Alex Harrison won the Vanguard Super Series. He also won two RTTs and a almost GT over the weekend in the UK. It was a uh, 26 players, I believe, um, five games, all with Salamanders, all with like slight tweaks on that same list. Um and then we also had Flying Monkey uh, Manger happen over the weekend, which was the top table was two Salamander players. They were the only two players um, to be five and zero oh, uh, heading into that into the sixth round. Uh, David Villarreal and um, Dan Salmons. Um, 
very similar lists and not exactly the same, but they took a lot of the same um, pieces, just how they played them were differently. Uh, David went with um, like uh, core salamanders where Dan went with a, um, a successor chapter to get that extra three inch range on all his flamers. So we got to see that in action. It's a very brutal list because it's it um, the the smaller board size makes it very easy for it to take up space very quickly. It makes a lot of use out of reserves. Very powerful. So they're sitting in the mid sixties for win rate right now, um, which is very high. Uh, generally, you you don't want to see anything higher than the the kind of low to mid fifties. Um, that being said, it's early. Who knows like if something will bring it down. White Scars also making a lot of big showings uh, from the Space Marine faction as well, which we've been hearing a lot of from top-tier players. They haven't won anything yet, but a lot of like four-and-ones, five-and-ones coming out of White Scars as well. Very cool. So I saw that there was some sort of unexpected actors that have sort of peaked up their head. And I use actors intentionally because Harlequins <laughs> have been doing very well, right? Harlequins have been doing fantastic. So there was a 1,750-point event. I believe you guys uh, talked to him. Matt, Matthew Bodnar, Chuck, uh, won the boardroom brawl with Harlequins. Uh, Colin McDade went 5-1 and one with Harlequins at the, um, uh, the Flying Monkey as well. Um, we also saw Harlequins make it to the final of the Tactical Tortoise Invitational. Um, losing to Space Wolves, another army that has not seen the light of day in a while. They, Space Wolves actually won that uh, that whole tournament. Um, but yes, Harlequins, Frozen Stars with lots of uh, troops, generally running fusion pistols, um, generally a few of the boats so they can uh, get, get around a little quicker and have a little protection, um, doing a lot, a lot of work. Um, once again, an army that likes to kind of get in that mid-range and then get into close combat right afterwards, very fast. Um, and uh, durable enough now where, where you're not going to table them on turn six, um, which used to be a big problem with Harlequins was they, they gassed out before the end of the game. Now with a one round less, it's a little easier for them to stay on the board. Um, they do have a couple struggles, as was if you watch the uh, table the, um, the, the, the game, that finals game for the Tactical Tortoise uh, Invitational. Um, anything that can make them fight last um, really hurts their chances in a lot of matchups. So that's really cool. Um, and then orcs are another big one that are, well, their win percentages and everything aren't where you'd kind of like them to be. They're playing exactly like I saw a lot in eighth, where um, they have a lot of guys on the low end, and then there's like three or four people that are ultra carrying them on the top end. Um, we had the Warzone Gigabytes event that saw two orc players in the top three. Um the Adelaide GT in Australia had a win for Orcs. So while their win rates are really low, we're seeing, you know, a, um, really good showing, particularly out of buggy lists out of Orcs. We'll have to see if the FAQ changes that, where they lost the war boss on Biker. Um, but yeah, we're starting to see this trend um, where Space Marines are doing very well, as I think everyone expected. They didn't lose a lot um, coming into this edition. They're only getting better. Harlequin's doing fantastic, which is great for them. Um, the only other faction I haven't brought up is, and I'm sorry for, for not letting you talk, but I'm just so excited about talking about the game, um, yeah, go, is go, go. Uh, um, Adeptus Custodes. A lot of people featured them as like a top-tier army coming into ninth because they got so many upgrades. And I think, and this is kind of my early prediction, is what you're going to see and what we've already seen is Adeptus Custodes are going to win a lot of RTTs and they're going to go four and one a lot at GTs. But I don't think they're going to win that many events. I feel like they are 
um, very poised to be a gatekeeper army, which is unfortunate because they're like my favorite thing in the world. And they can win a GT. They're, it's just the lists we're seeing right now, and maybe someone will find a list that just works better than everything we've seen so far, but there is, um, they they all have a kryptonite, and if and uh, in a five round tournament they're meeting it, and then you know they they lose that game, they go four and one. Um, their win percentages are very high; they're just as high as salamanders, but they don't have that that T whip that uh, that salamanders and other marine factions are, are are putting out because they can't get to that fifth game before taking a loss. Because they hit that kryptonite, which... they hit that kryptonite, and it depends on the build, right? And that's kind of what happens with skew lists. It's like with Imperial Knights and Eight, they had very good win rates. Their T-Whip wasn't terrible. Um, a lot of people played them. Like Custodies are um, at the same play rate right now as Space Marines, about 12%. Um, so very high. Um, and uh, But what we're seeing is, uh, just like Imperial Knights, um, they're like a low to mid-table terror, where because they skew so hard in one direction, there's a bunch of lists that just, Unless you planned for them, you don't have an answer. Um, but then you go into that one list that's like, well, two up armor saves are not uh, not a big deal to me. Um, like with some of these salamanders lists we're seeing that put out mortal wounds, etc. And they just pick them up and continue about their way. Very cool. Well, thanks, Peter. We really appreciate the meta update. Hopefully we can get you back here before too long because I, I think we're going to start seeing more events popping up because people are figuring out how to run them now safely. Uh, and there's I a lot so. of places in the in the world where uh, COVID is being tamped down pretty good. So the restrictions are loosening in some yeah. places. So one thing right. I'll say, boys, if that's if you are going to these events, stay safe, be careful. Um, it's not fixed, but if you guys, if you can do it as safely as possible, then, you know, you do you live your life. But just be careful. Be careful. It's yep. not gone. That's a fact. All right. Thanks, Pete. No problem. Talk to you later. Always interesting to get that man's views. Okay, here it comes. It's time for Model of the Week. It's the, the model of the day. The, the model of the day. The, the model of the day. Every day during our regular weekday show, we feature a model of the day, and we've been able to show up some stunning work this week. This week's Model of the Week is one you might have already seen. The model we chose for this segment comes from a regular contributor to the Model of the Day, and that's friend of the show Eric Festa, or Colonel Festus on Instagram. This week, we feature the Emoy boy himself, Shrike, and wow, does he look cool. The black armor and white accents are both done beautifully, and it's seamlessly blended together. I love the small details like the subtle glow effects from the stabilizer fins and the fact that it looks like he's got gel in his hair. If you have a model we should feature on the show or you've seen a model that should be featured on the show, Please let us know with our hashtag on Instagram, 40K Today, or toss us a message on Facebook. And that's it for this week. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed getting a peek at the fun stuff we did. A big thanks to our content producer, Alex Boehner, our social media superstar, Tanya Gates, and our technical producer, Seamus Ronan, for all their hard work, once again, in putting this program together. If you liked what you heard on the show today, make sure you come check us out at 40ktoday.com or on your favorite podcast platform. We do a 15-minute show every day with just the kind of information that was found in today's show. We'll see you next week. Until then, for Paul Murphy and Steve Joel and the rest of the 40K Today team, I'm John Damaris, and that's what's happening in 40K Today. <laughs>